Welcome to Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. We behold your glory, God, in the face of Christ. It shows us who you are, revealing who you are. God was faithful to the Israelites when he parted the Jordan River for them to cross. But in the promised land, they needed to remember that miracle of God's presence and provision as they faced intimidating inhabitants of the land. two of Cheryl's message titled, He Who Began a Good Work in You. I was driving this one day and I was just thinking of everything that is wrong in my life. Ever have days like that? Everything is just wrong. And I was telling the Lord, everything is just wrong in my life. You know, my husband loves his cell phone more than me. And I was just telling it to Jesus. Uh, and the Lord spoke to me and said, Cheryl, be thankful. I'm like, yeah, right. For what? And, and the Lord spoke to me and said, what are you driving? Uh, a car. Can you be thankful for that? Well, yeah, it's running. Okay, you should be thankful for that too. Um, does it have gas in it? Uh, yes. Can you be thankful for the gas in it? Yes, Lord. Can you be thankful uh, for the person that fixed it so it's running? Yes, Lord. Can you be thankful for the wheels that are on the car? Yes, Lord. And Cheryl, what instrument are you using to steer the car? I said, you mean my hands on the wheel, Lord? You said, yes. How many fingers do you have? I have four fingers and thumbs. Are you thankful for those? Are they working? Yes, they're working. And, and then Cheryl, do you have eyes that you can see? Can you see the road? Yes, Lord. And it was just one thing after another. Can you hear? Yes, I can hear. Cheryl, you have so much to be thankful for. Does your husband love you? Yes and his cell phone, but he loves me too. But he took me through, are your children walking with Jesus? Yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes. One wasn't at the time, that was my big complaint. But the Lord took me through all the places. And as I began to thank the Lord, my eyes began to get open wide to how present God was right now in my life, right here in this car. And you know, that Thanksgiving, this sanctification, we need time alone with the Lord. It's in those alone times, as we present to God, as we entrust our anxieties to God, and we begin to thank him for all that he's done, that we are strengthened in faith and our eyes are open to see the wonders of God. You know, every day we are experiencing one wonder after another. I mean, think about it. Your great grandparents did not have microwaves, right? We have running water. Do you ever get in your shower and go, I have running water? 
This is a miracle and it's hot and cold. That to me is wonderful because we got one of those restricted, you know, water head, shower heads. And for a while, all we could get was cold water. So now every time I get in the shower, I'm like, thank you for hot water. Because Brian found the restrictor and pulled it out. Don't tell the state of California. But you know, every day, I mean, think about the generations before us that never had running water. We live with this wonder. It's like, oh, water on, water off, water on, water off, hot water, cold water, water on, water off. We do this like it's just everyday thing. We have water. You know, most of us have our own teeth. Generations before didn't have their own teeth. I remember going to Yorktown and it's where they have the reenactment village. And we were with our younger kids when they were younger. And I remember they said, do you have two choppers that are across from each other that can chop? Because they were pretending to induct them into George Washington's army. And they said, most people did not have teeth in those days. You know, whenever we see the movies, they've got these perfectly straight teeth as if they all had braces in England before they came over. I mean, we live with wonders, wonders every day, wonders. And we need that sanctifying time to get ready for the wonders of God, what God was about to do. So God said, I'm going to do these things. I'm going to magnify Joshua, his authority and calling in the eyes of the people, verse seven. From this time forward, the people would recognize God's presence with Joshua and have confidence in Joshua's instruction. Secondly, he would assure the people that the living God was with them. They would always look back at the Jordan and say, God is with me because he was with me. God is still with me. It would serve as that guarantee, that absolute certainty, that assurance that God was with them. And it would be a guarantee of all the promises of God yet to come. Verse eight, God would not fail them. Even as he was faithful with the Jordan River, it would prove that God would drive out every enemy before them, whether it was the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Gergeshites, the Amorites, the Jebusites. God would deal with every obstacle. They could look at it and say, God dealt with the Jordan. He will deal with you, you Hivite, you Jebusite, you. God will deal with you, even as he dealt with the Jordan River. The people were ready for a miracle. Now, God didn't tell them what he was going to do or how he was going to take them into the land. Their responsibility was only to follow the ark and to sanctify themselves. You know, God's saying, listen, I'll do my part, but you do your part. You know, so often, aren't we like, well, what are you doing, God? Well, well, well you know, yes, I gave that to you, but what are you doing with it? Yeah, I gave you my prodigal, but what are you doing with them? Why are you letting him eat that? Well, why is he going that way? We're always, you know, telling God how to do things. So God is saying, I've got two responsibilities for you. You do your part and I'll do my part. Well, what are you going to do? I'm going to do my part. Well, what is your part? You'll see. That's how God deals with us still, isn't it? In the meantime, God called every tribe to pick out a man, one man from each of the 12 tribes, verse 12. He did not tell them why, and we'll find out in chapter four why he did this. It was simply an act of obedience. 
I love John chapter 13 when Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. And after this last supper with his disciples, he girds himself with a towel and he, he fills up a bowl with water and he begins to wash the disciples' feet. And Peter says, you know, what, what are you doing, Lord? No, 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 no. I should be washing your feet. And Jesus said, Peter, what I am doing, you do not understand right now, but you will understand later. That is so much how God deals with us. You do not understand, but I know what I'm doing. I've begun this work. I'll finish it. I know what I'm doing. Perhaps God was keeping them occupied so Joshua could do what God told him to do. Joshua then instructs the priests that are carrying the ark to step into the water. And he tells them that as soon as their souls touch the water, the water would rest. And that's exactly what happened. As soon as the priest stepped into the water, the current stopped, the water pulled back, the ground dried up, and the rest of the water flowed downstream into the Dead Sea. But 20 miles away up in Adam, the water was backed up. And the people packed up their camp and were ready to move on. And the priests stood in the midst of the Jordan with the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders. And the people stood a half mile away and began to cross over. Now, I love the fact that everything that was causing the river to dry up was 20 miles away where the Israelites could not see. You know, God is working in your life right now, 20 miles away, <laughs> doing things that you cannot see right now. 20 years ago, he did something that you don't know. I don't know if I told you this story because I forget what I told, but about the couple that we met in England that had the Bible study in their house only to find out that John Wesley had stayed in their house a um, hundred years before and prayed over their house and dedicated that house for God's use. And now this dentist and his wife moved into this house. They're doing Bible studies in it. He was just thinking, what am I doing? I'm a dentist. I'm not a Bible teacher. When the historian came and knocked at the door and said, did you know that this house used to be lived? John Wesley stayed here when he was evangelizing England? I mean, God has done things 20 miles away in all of our lives. There is an unseen work being done. God is preparing people and places and things that you'll meet. Like Jacob, where you will say, surely the Lord was in this place and I knew it not. Right now, God is working. He is working, he is working, he is working. When my youngest daughter was a prodigal, and I thought she was so out there. And when she came back to Jesus, she began to tell me story after story about how God was working and sending people here and having this person pray there. Crazy stories. And I had no idea that 20 miles away, God was working. Or those people that say, I don't know why, but you were on my heart and I was praying for you today. 20 miles away, God is working. The priest stood firm on dry ground. All the people crossed over to the other side. All the people crossed. All, every single person crossed safely on dry ground. And now they stood on the very land God had promised. 
the very land, the very place, the Lord of all the earth. Because the Lord of all the earth is not bound by rivers or seas, giants, armies, weapons. As we sing, who can stop the Lord, our God? Who can stop the Lord? There is no force on this earth strong enough to keep God from finishing his work, from working out his promises in our life. God began with the greatest obstacles in the Israelites' life, the giants and the Jordan River. It was a guarantee that God would finish the work, complete his promises, and do all that he said miraculously and by himself. In the same way, the Lord of all the earth has dealt with the greatest obstacles to the promises first. And let me say this, the greatest obstacle to the promises of God was the sin in your life. That was the greatest obstacle. That was what was keeping you as an alien apart from the covenant of God. That was what held you back. Like the giants that barred the land and the Jordan that blocked it, it was your sin. But Jesus dealt with your sin on the cross. He dealt with the greatest obstacle. In Mark chapter 2, 1 through 12, we're told the story of the paralytic. And Jesus is in the house. He's preaching. There's no room. There's no way that anyone can get to the house. And these enterprising young men, four of them, they climb up on the roof. They pull the tiles off and they lower their friend right in front of Jesus. And Jesus says to this young man who is in obvious need of healing, obvious need. He's paralyzed. And no doubt these friends have let him down in front of Jesus because they want to see their friend walk again. And you know what they want to hear from Jesus? They want to hear the word walk again. But what does Jesus say? Your sins are forgiven you. You see, this man could not receive the promises of God. He could not receive the healing of Jesus or anything else unless the big problem was dealt with. And that was the sin, the issue of sin. Our sin blocks us from the promises of God. It had to be dealt with. And Jesus dealt with the greatest thing, with the greatest obstacle. Jesus' sacrifice is a guarantee of all the promises of God. Listen to this, Romans 8, 31 through 34. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. You see, Jesus is our Ark of the Covenant. He is where God meets us. He's the agreement. He is the new covenant. He is the accord. Jesus is the provision. He is the provision for our sins. He is the great sacrifice. He is God's ultimate authority. He is on the right hand of God. He is the authority of God the eternal authority of God, the eternal living 
resurrected authority of God, the one who has authority even over death and ever lives to make intercession for us. He is the fulfillment of God's law. He is absolute righteousness. He lived the life we should have lived and died the death we deserved. He was veiled in human flesh and his glory was not seen except on the Mount of Transfiguration and then it was only glimpsed. And Jesus goes before us and for him, the waters and the obstacles part. There are no obstacles for Jesus. They stand back and he stands firm in the midst of those things that block us and our impossibilities that we might pass and go into all the promises of God. And he is the guarantee of all that God has done and will do. So today, what is your Jordan River? What is that thing that seems to block you from all the promises of God because the ultimate Jordan River, your sins, it's already been taken care of. So what is that obstacle? What is that thing that you think is keeping you from the promises of God? That obstacle that seems to mock every promise of God that says, no, it can't come true. It's not going to happen because here I am and I'm wider than I've ever been. And I'm stronger than I've ever been. And I'm more full than you realize. What is that thing? And how do you deal with it? How are you to deal with it? Are you camped by the promises of God, but you're unable to cross into them? Can you see them and you have them in your sight? But you're thinking, I don't think I can do this. I don't know how I will do this. Well, let me tell you, dear sisters, this is, this is your job. This is your responsibility. Consecrate yourself to God. Sanctify yourself to God. Take some time alone. This is what you do. With every obstacle, this is what you need to do. You need to get alone with the Lord. And you need to think about all that he's done already in your life. And you need to give yourself again to the purposes of God. I am here because you brought me here. I wouldn't even be looking at the Jordan River if it wasn't for you bringing me to the Jordan River. I wouldn't even know this river was here. But you brought me to this place. You put me in these circumstances. So you must have a plan and I want to be smack dab in the middle of your plan. Consecrate yourself to God. Contemplate the work of God. Consider the promises of God. Do this and then follow. Follow. Follow Jesus. Follow the work of God. Follow the word of God. Follow. Whatever he says, do it. Be prepared to do it. And I want to say, we need to get our eyes off the obstacles and onto the one who is promised. It does us no good to look at the obstacles because you know what we do? We glorify the obstacles. We glorify the obstacles more than God. We can get overly occupied with the obstacles. We're on the phone. Have you seen my obstacle? Have you heard what my obstacle is doing? Do you, do you, I got more information on my obstacle that I can't wait to tell you about my obstacle. And we're like, well, let me tell you about my obstacle. 
and we spend 20 minutes on our obstacle and they're like, do you want to pray? Yes, Lord, get rid of my obstacle. Amen. And it's all about the obstacle and our life all becomes about the obstacle. How wide, how deep, how strong the obstacle and where it's curving and where it's not curving and, and what the temperature of the obstacle is. We're all about the obstacle. Get your eyes off the obstacle. Get your eyes on the Lord. Get your eyes on the Lord. You see, this is what faith does. Faith takes her eyes off the obstacle and puts them on the living God. And the more we concentrate on the living God, the more God is able just to step into the water for us because he already did and to remove the obstacle as if it was never there. 20 miles away, way upstream, put your eyes on the Lord. And be ready to follow and do whatever he tells you to do, even if it doesn't make sense, even if you don't understand it. But because he said it, do it. As you contemplate, concentrate on following Jesus, Jesus will take care of the obstacle. He will take care of the obstacle. And then later in life, When you come to another obstacle, you'll say, I know what to do. I consecrate myself and I concentrate on God's word. Consecrate, concentrate. This is the way to deal with every obstacle. It's the way, you know, it starts with the Jordan, but it's the way to deal with the Hivite. It's the way to deal with the Girgashite. And I just wanted to say that word again. It's the way to deal with the Jebusite and the Canaanite and the Hittite and the other obstacles in life and everything that mocks your progress and your standing and your embrace and your dwelling in the promises of God. This is your responsibility and the rest is God's. You just concentrate, consecrate and concentrate. That's it. God will do the rest. And then the glory is not, well, this is what I did. No, it's like all I did was consecrate and concentrate. And somebody goes, I've got, I've got an obstacle. What do I do? You don't go, well, what does it look like? How big is it? How long? No, you say, consecrate yourself to God. Just be in his service. Say, Lord, you're big. You're great. Think about the Lord. Contemplate what he's done and then concentrate on his word and his promises. And God will move the obstacles. There is no obstacle that can stand against God. No obstacle. You know, Jesus said, if we have faith, faith the size of a mustard seed, we can say to this mountain, get out of my way. And it will move. We can say to that tree, be plucked up and it'll be plucked up from the roots and get out. But how do we do it? We do it by faith. What is faith? Faith is consecration, sanctification, consecration, and contemplation of God, of God, of God. God wants to do great things. You have promises. The land is before you. And God wants to do great things in our midst, wonders, wonders, things we can't do. 
to help us cross places we can't naturally cross. And it's going to be by God. We are in the last days. And if ever the world needed to see a God that is living, the God of all the earth, and to hear about the God that dries up rivers so his people can cross, it's now. And so he gives us, he allows obstacles in our life that strengthen our faith, that get us needing to consecrate and concentrate that he might do the work. And what do we come out? We come out with a guarantee, a guarantee of all the rest of the promises and a testimony. If my God did this, my God can do anything. God is aware of the troubles we face in our lives and as difficult as they may seem, we need to remember that Jesus is greater. He has already defeated the power of sin and death and no obstacle can stand against him. In these situations, our responsibility is to have faith and consecrate ourselves, and the rest is up to God. He allows these obstacles in our lives so that they may strengthen our faith and through it, display His power, goodness, and love. We hope you have been blessed by today's Bible study. For more information about the Gracious Words radio program and the teaching ministry of Cheryl Broderson, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, we'll look at the importance of remembering as we continue our Possessing the Promises series in the book of Joshua with Cheryl Broderson. We do hope you make plans to join us. Again, for more information, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. This program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.